Well, good morning. Glad that you've joined us this morning. Uh, we're continuing through Hebrews. We're in Hebrews 12, verses 14 through 17. I want to start uh, with a little story, something that happened the other day. So in the Aaron household, if you want to make money, you got to start a business, right? Uh, we're not handing out allowance. We have six kids. Do the math. Uh, we don't have, you know, the money for that. So it's like, you want money? You better start your own business. I mean, we got a pet care business. We got a lawn business. We got snow removal. Whatever you need, we will do it. And so we love snow because when we see snow, uh, we see money falling from the sky. It's not white. It's green. And it just gathers on people's drives, driveways and we just go scoop it up, right? And so, so we, we like snow. Uh, so the other day we're out. Um, I, I was, uh, you know, early on the kids are out there with their little shovels scooping and I'm like, this is so inefficient. The inefficiency is killing me. So I went in the garage. I found some pieces, just random pieces of wood. And I, I uh, you know, started sawing stuff and drilling stuff together with what I had. And this is what I made. Some snow shovels. This is the arid snow removal business right here. Now, this would be embarrassing, except the fact that these things have made us hundreds, maybe thousands of dollars as the errant army comes swooping in with these things and just whew, one swoop down the driveway and like, boom, 45 bucks. Thanks for, thanks for your business right there. Well, there was a problem because uh, a couple days ago, I'm out there and uh, this one on the left, will zoom in on the one on the left. Um, look at this thing. So, I mean, we've been, we've been using these things for years and, uh, and you're like, you could do better than that. I know you can do better than that, Mark. But this is just, yeah, what we have, this is what we started with. So look at that thing. It broke. Like I hit a crack and the thing just exploded, just ripped in the middle. And I keep trying to do driveways. But you can imagine like me pushing that snow. And it's just like that middle section just leaves a, a line of snow. And my son says, Dad, that is a Matthew 5 shovel. Throw it away. I was like, Matthew 5. What have they been teaching you in Veritas Youth? Uh, I, don't, I don't remember doing that one at our family devotions at the dinner table. Um, we don't do family devotions at the dinner table. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> isn't that why we take our kids to youth group? They teach our kids the Bible and stuff. It's, it's horrible. Matthew 5.13, it's where our name comes from, salt company. Salt, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, then what? What do you do to the salt that isn't salty? Throw it away. Just get rid of it. It's totally worthless. Church, here's where we're going with this. Hebrews 12 tells us, if we don't have these two things... If we don't have two things, these two things that we talk about this morning, then our church collectively, we are a Matthew 5 shovel. If we don't have these things, just somebody please shut the doors, renovate this, turn it into office space, because this is a colossal waste of time if we don't have these two things. Now, I'm going to read this, and I have to tell you, I'm going to give you a quiz. It's not a pop quiz, because I'm telling you. After I read this, I'm going to give you a quiz. I'm going to give you like 10 seconds to do this quiz. And the quiz goes like this. What are the two things we have to have? You ready? Okay. 
maybe the first time you listen to the Bible as it's being read, right? I need, I need something like that because usually I tune out when this happens. This, this is it. Listen. Ready? Here's the quiz. We're going to read verse 14. Pursue peace with everyone. Pursue peace with everyone and holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. Make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble and defiling many. And make sure that there isn't any immoral or irreverent person like Esau who sold his birthright in exchange for a single meal. For you know that later, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected even though he sought it with tears because he didn't find any opportunity for repentance. Okay, I'm going to give you 10 seconds to do the quiz. What are the two things that we have to have in Veritas? Or else we collectively are a Matthew 5 shovel. <laughs> Get rid of, just, just throw it out. It's no good. What are the two things? Just, just can write them down. Two things, two words. You don't have to, if, if you miss it, we're not going to shame you. Just, this is just you taking a little quiz at church. Okay. They all, both of them are in the first verse, verse 14. What are the two things? Peace and holiness. Peace, pursue peace with everyone and holiness. Now, everything else, you're like, wait, we need purity. We need reverence. Like, you may have put some other things. I'm putting those all under the category. This first verse frames in the whole kind of big idea of everything he's about to say. Peace and holiness. If we don't have these two things, we're just a Matthew 5 shovel. So peace, don't start fights with people. Don't start wars. Should be easy enough, right? Just, just be peaceful. The second thing is holy. Be like Jesus. Don't be polluted and corrupted and evil, right? That should be easy. Peace and holy enough. holiness, easy enough, right? Well, there's just one little problem. Look at verse 15 right in there. He talks about this root of bitterness that can spring up in the church. And it defiles many other people. It causes trouble. Okay, we're going to unpack that and explain the bitter root later. But here's the problem that I see. Here's the tension that I want, that I'm seeing as we come to this passage. Unholiness disrupts peace, right? So we all want peace, but here's the problem. There's these bitter roots that cause trouble. Trouble is the opposite of peace, right? So, so we all want peace, but bitter roots spring up and defile and trouble the body of Christ. So unholiness disrupts our peace. So let's, let me explain this in kind of a story, a, a picture. So where do all of us really long for peace the most? All of us long for peace where? At the family dinner table, of course, right? All of us want to sit down with the family, get all eight of us together in the Aaron household, sit down, share a meal together. Everything's 
perfectly laid out on the table and we're sitting down. We're going to have a great conversation. Let's just say the stars align. It's like a rare solar eclipse and it happens in the errant household. And we're sitting down for dinner and, and it's, it's a mom and dad's dream for this to happen. And, and it's this perfect setting and everyone is unusually talkative on this day. And we don't have to ask a kid how's school because one of them is asking another, hey, how was school today? And the other one doesn't just give a mumble. They're like, oh, it was, it was great, except oh, one little thing happened. It was kind of a bummer. Uh, I got caught smoking weed in the bathroom. <laughs> and dad's like, oh, sweet. You do you, son. All right, keep past the asparagus, right? So um, this is a... This is a 2022 kind of family, you know, grilled asparagus. And so we're, we're eating this organic asparagus. And, and, uh, and so dad's like, oh, you do you, son. Yeah, anyway, and uh, someone's like, well, how was your day, dad? It's like, oh, it was great. I was shopping online, uh, found a bunch of golf clubs. You know, Masters is coming up, golf season. So uh, I bought some clubs, $6,000. Uh, I put it on the credit card. I, I don't know really where that money's going to come from, but... But yeah, and, and the, you know, my wife is like, hey, no judgment from me, honey, because I was seeing all those commercials about the Caesar sports app, and I downloaded it, and remember all that money we saved up for the car? I kind of lost it on the Super Bowl. And I'm like, hey, babe, live and let live. <laughs> I mean, I get it, right? That's so tempting, those commercials, kind of hook you in, right? It's, I mean, they, they're really good at marketing that stuff and, and it kind of was worth the risk. I mean, we could have made, we could have won big and uh, we're just this peaceful, all-inclusive, all-affirming American family, right? I mean, isn't that just the picture of peace, what comes to your mind? No! <laughs> That's the opposite of peace. But why? We are so loving toward each other. What's wrong with that peace and that vision of peace that our culture has? Our culture, in our culture, the solution is that peace comes by affirmation. That's how we go about finding peace, is we just affirm each other. It's not just that we accept each other, it's that we affirm. We have to go that, you don't just want me to, to just say, hey, I still love you in the midst of it. No, I need you to actually applaud me for that thing that I did. That's how we get peace, but here's the question, what is the Hebrews 12 solution for peace. Where does peace come from? We find it in verse 15. Look at what he says. He says, make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God. Make sure, and we, we need to stop right here because this is the kind of thing that maybe doesn't come through as well in, in the English. Make sure, 
Um, it's pretty strong here, here in the original language. I just want you to see this up on the screen here. Okay, make sure. So the reason I'm putting this episcopuntes right there, um, the reason I'm putting there, so you understand where the phrase, it's all Greek to me, comes from, right? It's just like, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't get it, right? It's all Greek to me. But it, here it is transliterated, episcopuntes. Here's, um, you guys um, will understand this word. So epi means over, but look at that word scope. That's where we get our word telescope, microscope, like the scope on, on a gun. It means to, to see or to, to watch. And so it's, it's to watch over. And in the cool thing in the original language, that ending, untes, is like a present active. It means, um, it means the, like we are, continue, we are watching continually. This is, the, this is kind of the big idea of this is like we're to watch over continually. Now, who, who is doing the watching? Is it the elders of the church? Like the elders of the church should be watching over because this is actually the word for, like you've heard of uh, Episcopalian, the Episcopalian church. It comes from that word. It's, it's uh, where, where in 1 Timothy 3 it talks about an overseer. That's an actual literal translation of that word, an over, someone who watches over, and seer. So we talk about the elders are overseers. They're, they're looking around. But where are the elders in this passage? They're not here. They'll come later in Hebrews 13. But he's saying here, who's doing the watching? The whole community of faith is doing the watching. All of us are Episcopalians at this point, you know, people that are watching over, right? We're, we're looking out. We're overseeing. We're continually Keeping each other accountable to what? What's the accountability? We don't want anyone to miss out on the grace of Jesus. To fall away from the grace of Jesus. So someone in Veritas comes to you and they say, Mark, I'll say a friend comes to you. Okay, just, hey, there's a problem in Veritas. Big time problem. And you're like, what? What is it? What's going on? They're like, there is massive peer pressure going on in this church. Tell me about it. What's, what's up? And they say, well, I went to connection group. And you know what they were pressuring me to do? They were pressuring me to not look at pornography. And then you know what else I've heard at Salt Company in the college ministry? There is a culture of peer pressure. They're pressuring college students to not go sleep around and get wasted. And this is a real problem because I like doing all that stuff. And I don't like the peer pressure that's going on in here. Here's the question. Is that kind of peer pressure toward holiness, is that a problem? No. It's the solution, right? That's what we are as a church, is we are a place that we want all to be like Jesus here. We want to walk in his steps and follow Jesus. We want to be a church that actually does that. And that's the picture that Hebrews 12 is painting. It's a, paint, a picture of this sort of this accountability, we're watching, we care about each other. So the culture finds peace by affirmation, but in the church, peace comes by the hard conversation. 
the hard conversations. So in Ephesians, it talks about speaking the truth in love. It says about Jesus in John 1 that he came with grace and truth, right? Peace and holiness come together in the person of Jesus. This point here is that we love each other enough to speak the truth. We care about you too much to just say, oh yeah, pass the asparagus. Yeah, whatever, this, you do you. Like, we, we're like, no, I, I love you so much. I know that this is hurting you. And it's hurting the people around you. And I, I love you and I care about you. So there are three things that fall under this idea of watching over continually. There's, there's three things. He says, make sure that, three things, verse 15, make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God. So, so here we want to ask the question, what kind of hard conversations are we talking about? What are the hard conversations we're supposed to go after? In verse 15, he says, the first one is we want to make sure that no one falls short of the grace of God. So, you know, we're, we're saved by grace, not works. We're not saved by our own holiness. We are not saved by how much good we do. We are saved by the blood of Jesus. That's great news. It frees us from sin. But this person in verse 15, it says they have forfeited the grace. They've just neglected it, given up on following Jesus. And so the hard conversation, number one, is are you disregarding Jesus? Are you disregarding Jesus? Like, you live like a practical atheist. You practically, you live like somebody who doesn't believe in God. Or you live like somebody who has not been freed from sin. Like, all the stuff that Jesus Christ saved you from and freed you from, you're like still living in that, right? And he goes on, look at verse 15, the end of it, and he says, make sure that, so that, that, that no root of bitterness springs up, causing trouble and defiling many. This is one of the most misused passages in the Bible or misapplied passages. I have heard so many, and I have said this, right, because I've been taught this by different people that the root of bitterness is what? Like usually we connect it to a root of anger in your heart or unforgiveness in your heart. And if that root kind of grows up into your soul, it's gonna come out and produce bitter poison. That might be true, but it's not what this passage is talking about. I want to go back to Deuteronomy 29 because he's quoting the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 29, verses 18 through 21. Be sure that there is no man, woman, clan, or tribe among you today whose heart turns away from the Lord our God to go and worship the gods of those nations. Be sure there is no root among you bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. 
When someone hears the words of this oath, he may consider himself exempt, thinking, I will have peace even though I follow my own stubborn heart. Let's stop there. There's an Israelite that's saying, oh, I can have peace with God without obeying him. Like all those laws, 10 commandments, like I'm in the covenant of God. I've been circumcised. I did all of the, I got my, did bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah. I'm a son of the law. I can do whatever I want because I'm Jewish by birth. Whatever their excuse is, right? I'm, I'm part of the covenant people. My peace comes from doing whatever I want. And then look at what he says. This will lead, this is the second half of verse 19. This will lead to the destruction of the well-watered land as well as the dry land. The Lord will not be willing to forgive him. Instead, his anger and jealousy will burn against that person and every curse written in the scroll will descend on him. The Lord will blot out his name under heaven and single him out for harm from all the tribes of Israel according to all the curses of the covenant written in this book of the law. So I ask the question, what is the bitter root of Hebrews 12? Is it the anger that grows up in your heart? No. The bitter root is a person in among the people of God who is saying, I can do whatever I want and God will accept me. I can live however I want and God will let me into heaven. That's the bitter root. It's a person. So the hard conversation number two. He wants us to watch over each other for this. Has grace made you exempt from obedience? Has grace made you exempt from obedience? And I use that word exempt because that's what the person in Hebrew, or sorry, Deuteronomy 29 says. He considers himself exempt thinking, I will have peace even though I follow my own stubborn heart. So have you ever seen or heard about Christians who get religious exemptions? That's kind of been a thing, right? Religious exemptions. Have you ever heard of that? Okay, I've seen that growing up all the time, and I'm not talking about vaccines. I'm talking the religious exemption of the person who says, I go to church on Saturday night to make sure I get my forgiveness so I can just party hard all through the night, right? I want to do whatever I want on Saturday, but I need a religious exemption from obeying Jesus. So I, I go to church at five and then I party at seven, right? If that's you, I hope you feel the weight of Hebrews 12. And if you have a friend, a brother, a sister in Christ that is living this way, are you willing to pursue them in love and have a hard conversation?
because you know that the conversation could bring conflict. And you think, well, I got to keep the peace, right? Well, Hebrews, saying, uh, Hebrews 12 is saying the way to keep the peace is to pursue the hard conversation. Why? And what's at stake here? He says this bitter root, this person troubles and defiles. And actually, the, the words here, it's the idea of like, it's almost like cultic language, like a cultic impurity that, that spreads in here. It's, and, and I think this, this implies like false teaching. Like the person who's saying this is going around whispering lies and false teaching among the people of God. And it's causing confusion. It's like, it's like someone brings in there kind of like a, a new age universalism into Veritas, but kind of, kind of has it all smeared with Christianity. Like, you know, you're, this, this happened in our connection group uh, right before we were praying for somebody who, uh, somebody's grandmother who was sick and, and didn't know Jesus. And, and one person in the group says, oh, don't worry about your grandma. If they don't know Jesus now, after they die, they will, they will still get a chance to become a follower of Jesus and repent of their sins. So we don't need to pray for your grandma. And it was like, all of a sudden, it was like you could just see the, the poison just as people were like confused, like, wait, what, what's going on? We, because it's... What brings peace among us is the unity of our doctrine, right? the unity of, that we find in God's word that brings us together, that, that brings us into a, a people of, of peace here. This morning, I was reading Numbers 18, and I just in my Bible reading plan, I'm like, oh, great, Numbers. What am I going to get more lineage and names? And I came across this. It says that Numbers 18.1, that you're to guard the holiness of the sanctuary, and I was just thinking about, wow, the, the stewardship of bringing God's word to you. I mean, could you, it's like God saying, hey, Mark, guard my word. Preach my word. If it thins out the crowd, preach my word. If it's not culturally acceptable, preach my word. And the same is true for all of us here. We have a stewardship to guard the truth of God's word and the holiness of God. He goes on, verse 16, make sure that there isn't any immoral or irreverent person like Esau who sold his birthright in exchange for a single meal. For you know that later when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected even though he sought it with tears because he didn't find any opportunity for repentance. Some of you maybe have never heard of this guy, Esau. Well, there's, there's two um, the, kind of the most famous people, the patriarchs, we call them, of the Old Testament are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and Isaac and his wife, Rebekah, had two sons, and Jacob and Esau. And even in the womb, these twins were fighting each other. Like she could feel them fighting in the womb. And their whole life was, was fighting. And at one point, Esau comes in, and you can read the story in Genesis 25, but he, he busts into his house. He's like, I'm starving. I'm hungry. And Jacob's like, well, I'll feed you, but you have to give me the whole inheritance, your birthright. And he's like, 
fine, you can have it, whatever. I don't care about my birthright. I'm just hungry. And so for a single bowl of soup, he trades away his whole future inheritance. We see later in Genesis 26, he marries these two unbelieving pagan women from other nations, and it said he made his parents' life bitter. This guy Esau did not care at all about God. He didn't care about his future. And the emphasis here is that for a single meal, he did this. For a moment of pleasure, a moment of, oh, good, I'm, I was starving, I was hungry. He had an appetite for something. And for a single meal, he traded it all away. So the hard conversation number three, we need to watch out for each other and ask this question, are you doing what feels good in the moment? Are you, are you just doing what feels good in the moment? A dear childhood friend of mine met this beautiful girl at a party. They hooked up. She got pregnant. Talked to him the other day. That girl has grown up. His wife wants nothing to do with God. And his whole life, he's, he's trying to model Jesus and be faithful, but that constant just wasn't worth it. That one moment of pleasure, was it, was it worth it for that life, a moment of pleasure and a life of heartache? That's how Esau lived. He was a man of the moment. If it feels good, do it. Are you someone who just gives in to your desires just so easily? And you guys, we are all gonna, we're all gonna fail. We're all gonna fail at this point. But Esau was unrepentant, as we see. So let me just summarize at this point this passage. I, I think, number one, the health of the church depends on holiness. The health of the church depends on holiness. I, one of my mentors, he said, um, the saying back in the 60s was, don't trust anyone over 30. And he said, but I say, don't trust anyone under 300, right? <laughs> Look to the people that have gone before and learn from them. And one of these old guys that's gone before, he's not quite 300 years old yet, but his name's A.W. Tozer. And he wrote this book called The Knowledge of the Holy. And on his chapter on the holiness of God, listen to what he wrote. And I, I can still remember my grandpa Bill quoting A.W. Tozer, and it's, it's beautiful. But, but this is going to like recalibrate us. Just grab onto your seat and hold tight. Listen to what he says. He says, we have learned to live with unholiness. We have learned to live with unholiness. It's the natural and expected thing. But God is holy And he has made holiness 
the moral condition necessary to the health of the universe. Whatever is holy is healthy. Evil is a moral sickness that must end ultimately in death. Every wrathful judgment in the history of the world has been a holy act of preservation. The holiness of God, the wrath of God, and the health of the creation are inseparably united. He hates iniquity as a mother hates the polio that takes the life of her child. Unholiness is sickness. It's toxic. It's pollution. It's the problem. And we as humans have never seen a clear crystal Iowa River. And so we just drive by the river and like, that's it, right? We'll try to make it marginally cleaner, but we're never going to see it pure crystal Iowa River again. And so we just accept and learn to live with the pollution and the toxins the unholiness. So how do you make something polluted pure again? When we find, I can talk about the Iowa River, but that's my heart so much of the time as I scroll through my social media and just come to accept that this is our world. So what do we do? How do we pursue peace and holiness? Because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. What do we do? Where do we go? Holiness is found in one place and one place only. The cross of Jesus Christ. And when I bring my sin into the presence of God and I come to the cross and I kneel down. I don't come to justify myself. I don't come to say how it's not really that bad and it's not really that polluted. I don't come to marginalize my sin, to minimize it, to justify it, I don't come to the cross to affirm myself. I don't come to the cross to see how good I am. I come to the cross with my polluted heart and I say, Jesus, son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The second thing, holiness and peace are only possible at the cross of Christ. Holiness and peace are only possible at the cross. So church, as we leave here, I want us to live into a vision of pursuing peace and holiness. Because here's what's going to happen. If we miss this second point of the cross, if we try to find peace and holiness apart from the cross, what's going to happen? You know what's going to happen to us? We are going to become a harsh, judgmental group of people. Because we're going to start pursuing holiness by a bunch of rules, 
okay, here's all the Veritas rules now. Here's what holiness means. You got to do this, this, this. You can't wear this. You got to, can't go here, can't go there, can't watch this, can't watch that, can't wear this, can't watch that. We'll make a bunch of rules. That's not where we're going. That's not the vision of peace we're living into. The vision of peace is I deal so severely with my sin that now that I'm cleansed by Jesus, I can come to you humble, patient, kind. It transforms me. I'm not coming to you judgmental and how could you. I know how could you because I just did it, right? So I deal with the plank in my eye and then I come to you humbly, pursuing peace, pursuing you in love. Not running from conflict and a hard conversation, but in love coming to you. I'm not coming with always an ax to grind. I'm going to confront all these people now this week. No, 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 no. That's not what we do. We just have eyes to see, man, who's struggling? Who can I be praying for? How can I love them back? That's the pursuit of peace and holiness that Jesus wants us to live into. Let's pray together as we close. I want to give you um, some time here just to examine your heart and come to Jesus. What is this unholiness? What's the moral sickness going on in your heart right now? Would you just invite Jesus to come and examine you and help you. Now, maybe some of you, um, you just feel like, man, I could never, this is another reason why I could never be a part of Veritas. I'm such a sinner and I don't deserve to be here. If, if they only knew what I brought into this place, they wouldn't want me here. No, that is why we want you here. That's the good news. Your sin qualifies you to be a Christian. That's why Jesus died. He came for you. Just so come to him. He's inviting you. Come, come to Jesus. Let him forgive and cleanse and heal. Just let him find you right now.